morning again. If you would please turn your Bibles to Romans chapter 5. Our text this morning comes from Romans chapter 5. About 10 days ago or so, my wife and I got on an airplane and flew to Albuquerque, New Mexico to see her family. And I was yet again reminded that I don't like flying on commercial airlines. Uh, I know that if you're going very far, it's by far the fastest way to travel. It's also by far the safest way to travel. And I know all of this, but I still don't like flying. Did you know you are more likely to be stung by a bee and die than you are to die on an airplane? Okay, in fact, you are 20 times more likely to die on your way to the airport in your car than you are on the airplane getting to your final destination. Okay, and here's the thing. I'm not afraid of flying. Okay, it doesn't make me nervous to fly. Just taking off on the airplane, that's fine. The biggest annoyance to me when the airplane takes off and lands is that it makes my book shake and I can't read for that couple minutes of each, each way, right? I'm not afraid of flying at all. So why is it that I don't like flying? Okay, and I think I've decided that the reason I don't like it is because I don't like feeling powerless and I don't like feeling vulnerable. Okay, I want to be in control of what's going on around me. And when you fly, you are not in control. Okay? You sit passively as somebody else is in control. Hey, even getting through security, you feel powerless, right? You're like a, a piece of cattle in a line, just going through the thing. Finally, you get through, you get set on your airplane, the seat's a little bit too small, you're sitting next to somebody random, you don't know. I don't like the feeling of not being in control. Any other control freaks out there like me? You really just like being in control of what's going on around you, and it doesn't feel good when you're powerless, when you're vulnerable, Vulnerable and somebody else is in control. I think I've decided that what would make flying better is if Southwest would just let me fly the plane, right? How hard can it be, right? You know? And yet, the gospel insists that I was never in control. In fact, the gospel insists that I am completely powerless to get myself where I need to be spiritually. Okay, I'm sinful. I'm selfish. I have no power to save myself. If I am ever going to get saved, it will have to come from outside of me. I will have to lay down my sense of power and control and turn it over to someone else who can do all of the work for me. All right, notice Romans chapter 5, starting in verse 6. He says, you see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners... Christ died for us. A noble death. Uh, there is a Vietnam veteran. He currently lives in Denver. A gentleman by the name of Ivan. And Ivan tells a story about how when his squad was in Vietnam, they were stationed near a village. 
And every day from this village, several of the kids from the little village would come and interact with all the soldiers. Mostly they came wanting to sell little pieces of candy or little trinkets that they had made, whatever they could do, try to get a little extra change. Mostly they were just curious about all these Americans over there in their country and trying to figure out how to interact with them. Well, Ivan grew particularly close to one little girl. She was a seven-year-old girl named Kim. And every day, her smiling face would come and greet Ivan and all of his buddies here stationed in Vietnam. And he would, he would twirl her around. He would sit her on his lap. He got to know her. And every day, he looked forward to her smiling face coming in into his life, breaking up the monotony of soldiering. Well, one day, Kim approached the squad of soldiers. But Ivan could tell that something was wrong. She was really hesitant and she wouldn't come forward running to his arms like she normally did. And while she was still at a distance, she opened up her shirt and showed Ivan that she was covered in explosives. Okay, the Viet Cong had gotten to her and had her to go to this group of soldiers to try and kill as many as possible. But she didn't want to do that because she loved this man, Ivan, and all of his buddies. And so instead, she showed them the explosives and yet kept walking slowly towards them and forced the soldiers, including Ivan, to shoot her to keep her from getting to the rest of the soldiers. She willingly gave up her life because she loved those soldiers enough that she wanted to spare them. Okay, and I tell you that story because when we read about the death of Jesus... Most of us have heard this story so many times that it kind of loses its sting, right? It kind of loses its force of just how ugly death is. Just how much of a sacrifice Jesus had to make in laying down his life. Death is hard. Death is awful. Okay, but sometimes if the cause is truly noble, whether it's in the face of overwhelming love or a sense of justice, we see noble death. Okay, we get examples throughout history of people who laid down their lives for someone else and we always hold them up as heroes, right? That's the most noble thing we can imagine, to lay down your life for someone else. Okay, a mother sacrifices her life to protect her baby and we call her a hero, a soldier falls on a grenade to protect his buddies. He is a hero. A man jumps in front of a car to push someone else out of the way. Okay, we hold up these people as heroes. Men and women who died so that someone else might live. You know, I say with confidence that I would die for either one of my children. Okay, when Luke was in the hospital right at his birth, he started going through so much of his own medical ordeal and we didn't know if he would make it or not. The doctors came to us and said, you know, this could really go either way. Okay, and I remember vividly sitting by his bed praying, saying, Lord, if there is any way I can take any of his suffering, any of his hurt, any of his pain onto me, I would willingly take it. Okay, and I knew praying that prayer that that's not how it works, right? God's not going to say, okay, David, then I'll put you in his place instead. Okay, but I prayed that prayer. Why? Because I love my kid. As a parent, if any of you have ever had kids, you know you would willingly give your kid anything that they possibly need. If ever you could help your child, you would give it. I say with confidence that I would die for either one of my kids, right? Okay, but I want you to imagine... 
a harder scenario. Okay, would you sacrifice your kid for someone else? Okay, I want you to imagine if the doctors came to me tomorrow and they came up to me and said, David, the head of the KKK, okay, the Grand Dragon Wizard Master Pumbaa President, I don't know what his title is, the guy with the biggest hat and the most hate, okay, that guy, I want you to imagine that he is going through renal failure. His kidneys are failing right now and your son is a perfect match. So you, would you be willing to give one of Luke's kidneys for the grand hate wizard so that he doesn't have to go through all the pain of dialysis and all of that? Would you be willing, I know your kid's kind of sick and your kid's been through a lot and his kidneys aren't 100%, but he's such a good match. Would you please give one of your son's kidneys so this guy could have a better quality of life? Okay, and if a doctor asked me that, I think I would honestly laugh, right? No. You can't take anything from my precious, innocent little boy. You especially can't take anything away from him for a man who deserves whatever pain and suffering he's experiencing. Why should my innocent child suffer for a guilty, selfish man? You see where I'm going with this? Okay, because here's the point of the gospel. The worst sins that you can imagine, idolatry, rape, murder, whatever sin you can imagine in your head, we were guilty of that against God. We deserved whatever pain and suffering we could possibly bring upon ourselves, and yet God gave his own innocent son to suffer and die so that you and I can have life. Here's the point of Romans chapter 5. I think it comes right there at verse 8. And that is that Jesus died for an undeserving you. Okay? If you write down one thing this morning, make it be that. If you believe Romans 5, 8, I think it changes everything. Jesus died when we were powerless to do anything for ourselves. He died when we were ungodly. We were powerless and sinners, and God gave us Jesus. Okay, that's the gospel, right? All right, notice the implications of this, because now Paul says, okay, because of that, because of this gospel gift, because God gave his one and only son, because he loved you so much, here's what that means now. Okay, notice starting in verse 9. He says, since... We have now been justified by his blood. How much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. All right, and we lose some of this as we translate it into English, but if you read this originally, you can see very clearly there is a past tense part of this, a present tense part of this, and a future tense part of this. Paul is saying, because this happened, now here's where we are, and here's where we're going. Past, uh, present, and future, it all is coming together right here. And notice the first part of what he says. Because of this sacrifice of Jesus, he starts with the past tense, and he says, because of this, we have been justified. Okay, that's the past tense part of this. Go on to the next slide. Okay. Notice again, verse 9, he says, we have now, 
okay, been justified, past tense. Okay, your justification happened when Jesus shed his blood and you became a Christian, past tense. All right, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago. Okay, but justification is a court term, meaning you have been declared to be in the right. Okay, the judge banged down his gavel and declared that you are free to go. You are justified. You now have the right legal status with God. You know, again, on this same uh, airplane flight that I referenced earlier, the stewardess got up and she was going through her normal, you know, pre-flight stuff, telling you how to buckle your seatbelt and put the oxygen mask on you first and all that kind of thing. And she told us, she said, there is a $10,000 fine if you smoke in the lavatory. All right. And for that kind of money, you could have flown Delta, which I thought was pretty cute. All right, but I want you to imagine for just a minute that I did that. I decided I just couldn't wait to land to get my next cigarette, and so I decided to smoke in the lavatory, which would really surprise uh, my wife since I don't smoke. But imagine that I did, and I smoked in the lavatory, and they caught me, and they said, David, you are guilty. You've committed this crime. Now you owe $10,000. And I stand before the judge, and he says, we find you guilty. You owe us $10,000. But then you... Because you love me so much as your young, good-looking preacher. You love me. So you showed up at the courthouse later that day, and you said, David, because of our great love for you, here is $10,000 out of my bank account so that you can pay your fine. And you walked up, and you gave it to the judge and said, here is the $10,000 fine. Would the judge take that money? Absolutely. Does the judge care where I got the ten grand? Nope. He just cares that he got it, right? And at the end of that process, whether it was my 10 grand or your 10 grand or everybody's 10 grand, so long as he got paid, he would say, okay, now we declare you to be justified. All right, we broke our relationship with God through our sins. We deserved death and separation. We had a penalty to pay from God, but Jesus took his blood, paid our debt, and now we're justified, okay? That's justification. That happened in the past, right? Jesus went to the cross and died, shed his blood so that he could pay our debt. Fair enough? Now notice the present tense part of this. We are reconciled. Okay, and in just this three-verse span, in 10 and 11, uh, Paul uses that word justified three times. I'm sorry, the word reconciled three times. Right, you cannot understand Romans without understanding what it means to be reconciled. Okay, this is the present tense part of the equation. We were justified in the past, so that now in the present, we are reconciled to God. Okay, this following story is going to sound terrible and you're not going to like me for telling it, but it, it serves to make the point. All right, I want you to imagine this afternoon that I went home and Rachel and I got into an argument over something largely meaningless, like the remote control, right? I wanted to watch something action, she wanted to watch romantic comedy, and so we get into it with each other. We get into a big fight and it escalates and I just beat the snot out of her, okay? I told you you wouldn't like it. It's a story, all right? Don't worry, I'm not going to try this at home, okay? But I want you to imagine that I did that. Imagine that I just beat her bloody, okay? And so I get arrested. They take me off to prison. I go before a judge, and the judge says, David, we find you guilty for assaulting your wife, all right, so now you've got a three-month prison sentence. You've got X number of hours of community service, and you've got X number of dollars of a fine, 
All right. So for the next three months, I served my time in prison. I got out. I did all my community service hours. And then I took a check to the court and said, here's my fine. And I did all of the things that the judge told me would be the consequence of me beating up my wife. Okay. Have I paid my debt to society? <laughs> According to the judge, when he bangs his gavel down and says, you done everything that we sentenced you to do. Now you are free to go. It is off everything. You can go and live your life. Okay. I have paid my debt to society. Now imagine that afternoon I went home and said, honey, I'm home. I paid my debt. I served my time. I paid my fine. I did everything I was supposed to do. So now, dear, we can go back to just like it was before I beat the snot out of you. Do you think she would just welcome me with open arms and say, well, since you did your time and since you paid your penalty, now everything's back to normal and now we can just go on and pretend like this never happened. Okay? Now, I guarantee you that if I went home after doing something like that, I better learn how to cook for myself, right? I don't think I'd want to eat anything she prepared for me. Okay? I better learn how to sleep when she's not around, right? Okay, now, is that fair? Okay, I did my time, right? I paid my fine. I did everything the judge told me to do. Okay, and this is the difference between being justified and being reconciled. The judge can tell you you've done everything to clear your name, Okay, but that doesn't do anything to fix the relationship. All right, what Paul is telling us in Romans chapter 5 is, not only did the blood of Jesus wash all our sins away, but it also fixed the broken relationship between us and God. All of those sins that I've ever committed against God, all the ways that I've disappointed my Heavenly Father, He doesn't hold that against me. We've been reconciled. Okay? We can go back to having a righteous relationship. Okay, that's present tense. If you are a Christian washed by the blood of the Lamb, you are reconciled in a right relationship with God Almighty. Does that make sense? Okay, past tense, we were justified. Present tense, we are reconciled. And the future tense of this is he says we will be saved. Uh, this week, I will finish the edits on my big project thesis for school, okay? Um, probably I'll get to that about tomorrow afternoon. Uh, at the very latest, I'll do that sometime on Tuesday, and I will have finished a paper that is 120 pages long. Okay, you don't wanna read it, I guarantee you, okay? It's thick and it's boring and it's a 120 page big project and I will be very thankful to be done with it. Now, I've also got from the last class I was in a 10 page paper that I have yet to write. Okay? It's not due till November. Don't look at me like that. It's fine. I've got plenty of time. All right. After having written a 120-page monstrosity, how much confidence do I have in my ability to write a 10-page paper? Do you think that I'm approaching this project going, man, I don't know if I can write that many pages? Or am I going into it with a lot of confidence saying, yeah, I can write 10 pages? Okay? Here's what Paul does in the end of this section in Romans chapter 5. He's using a very common Jewish rhetorical argument where he says, we've already done the hard part, and if that's already happened, then now we've got the easy part. Okay? Notice how he says, he says, since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? Okay? And Jewish writers would often use this thing. They'd say something like, well, if we've already climbed a mountain... 
how much easier is it for us now to walk across the level plain on the plateau, right? If we've already been justified by the blood of Jesus, if we've already been reconciled in our relationship to God, then being saved is the easy part, right? And being saved for Paul is a future tense thing. Okay, currently we are in a reconciled relationship to God. And because of that, because we celebrate that, we know that at the end of time we will be saved. We will be with God for all of eternity. Okay, I mentioned this a couple weeks ago when we ended. But this is the section of Romans where Paul starts giving us our assurance. All right, Paul is saying as Christians we don't have to live in fear. We don't have to live wondering, oh, I hope I'm saved. Oh, I hope that everything's going to be all right. Oh, I hope that God's going to work it all out. Okay, as Christians, we live with confidence. Because Jesus went through the death and burial and resurrection, we know we're going to be saved. We know God's going to work it all out. We know how this story is going to all play out. We don't have to live in fear. We live in confidence. Okay, that ought to change the way we live. That ought to have implications for how we go to work tomorrow. That ought to change the way we interact with people around us. That ought to change the way we love our spouses, the way we serve our neighbors, the way we live as Christians in general. Okay, we have been justified, we are reconciled, and we will be saved. That is the promise that Jesus Christ gives to us. All right, at this time in our service, we're going to sing a few verses of an invitation song. Uh, during the singing of this song, I will be down front. One of our shepherds will be down front. And we would love to pray with you or talk with you about anything that's going on in your life. Uh, especially if you've never taken hold of these promises. If you've never become a Christian. We would love to talk with you about what that's like and what that entails. Uh, before we sing our song though, I would like to pronounce a word of blessing over us. Uh, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you. May he give you peace. Let's stand and sing.